You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 46. Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, voice actor Crispin Freeman. Hi there, my name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. This week, I'm excited to share with you an interview I did with a voice actor who has been an inspiration to me, and who I'm fortunate enough to call a friend, Mr. Steve Bloom. Steve has worked extensively in animation, video games, and anime, playing major characters in all three art forms. Whether he's playing Wolverine in the Marvel animated versions, voicing Spike Spiegel in the popular anime series Cowboy Bebop, or setting a Guinness Book World Record playing more characters in video games than anyone on the planet, Steve is everywhere. I was eager to talk to Steve about his career and to get his advice on voice acting because the story of how he broke into the industry is so unique. I think you'll really enjoy it. And now, the feature segment. So greetings, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Mr. Steve Bloom is with me to chat about voice acting. Hi, Steve. How are you? Well, hello and huzzah. Huzzah. Uh, Very proud to be here and very happy we finally made it work. Yes, yes. Steve and I are actually at a convention right now uh, in the D.C. area. Uh, and we finally squirreled away some time to get together and talk about voice acting. Isn't that sad that we have to travel all the way across the country? To I know. Together? <laughs> but somehow that's how we got the time worked out. So yeah. we'd actually be next to each other to do this. Yeah. So uh, basically, Steve, for those, for the, for the tiny minority out there who might not know who you are and what you're about, <laughs> can you give us a, just a quick sort of uh, bio about you and, and how you started as a voice actor? Sure. Yes. Well, uh, I'm Steve Bloom. Hi. And uh, I started out. Uh, sort of a bass backwards way, but before I tell you that part, I will tell you that I'm probably best known as Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop and many other anime. And for you non-anime fans out there, I, I'm probably best known as Wolverine and Starscream from Transformers and Tom from Toonami, who sort of crosses into both areas. Uh, and I've done almost 300 video games, so I've, I've worked in a lot of different areas of the voiceover universe. And uh, as far as my beginnings, they were very non-traditional. Yes, I heard there's something about a treehouse. Tell us there about was a treehouse, tree yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it was such an odd thing. I was working for a film company. Uh, I was a driver and mailroom clerk at a low-budget film company. And everybody in the company, in, in that section of the company, was an actor, as are in most businesses in Hollywood, except for me. I was a music guy. But I did have a great time hanging out with my buddies and doing stupid voices in the parking lot. And I seemed to have an ability to do accents and creature voices. And uh, since I had the deepest voice in the room, one of the guys was casting an anime. It was one of the, f- the first ones dubbed in uh, the States, other than Streamline's pictures at that time. And uh, since I was the deepest guy in the room, he asked me if I would come out and try out for s- these creature voices on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I was terrified. I had no idea what it was. I had no acting training, but he was going to pay me if I got the job on the spot. And he would feed me breakfast and lunch, and I was starving at the time. Hey, we'll act for food, right? I did, yeah. yeah. And a chance to hang out with my buddies so, yeah. on a Saturday. And it was, uh, so I came out to this place in Studio City, and uh, we get there, and the studio is literally in a treehouse in this guy's backyard. And uh, he had a band, and he built this little studio in the treehouse, and that's where they rehearsed and they recorded. But he had no recording equipment to isolate voices for a voiceover and to lock it up with picture. So we literally got there, and between the cast that showed up that day, we ended up hauling all of the equipment up into the treehouse. He rented these Nagras and all this other equipment to lock up. Nagras? Nagras. Which, for those who don't know, are analog recording rigs. Yes. They're tapes. Yes, this was a tape deal. So we lugged all this equipment up into the studio. They didn't even know how to use it, really. And uh, we spent... The whole day there. We we had three meals there. We spent the whole day there. He had 20 actors show up at the same time, which is not the way you record anime. Right. Uh, at least not in the U.S. Not in the U.S. You, you really should isolate it. And we we were never in the room at the same time either. In Japan, they do it at the same time as a cast. And, yeah. And they're professionals, and they can pop in and out on the mics. This was not that. This was <laughs> a bunch of guys who didn't know how to do it. And yeah. so they just brought everybody at once, and they ended up having to feed us all day. So anyway, I go into the, uh, the studio, and... I recorded a couple creature things, and I think the first thing I did was a creature ripping the arm off of another creature, and yeah. just just nasty, bloody sounds. And they liked it, and so they hired me on the spot, and I was paid seven dollars a line, and that was a big deal wow. at that time. And that was yeah. pretty good money. That was pretty good money for a starving uh, musician. Yeah, being paid by the line. Yeah, that, it was. That, does, that never happens now. They had no idea how to do this stuff back yeah. then, and most of it was growling, so the growls didn't necessarily count. So yeah. there was a little fudgery happening there with the line count. Um, but anyway, as we're recording, we're, we're probably about 15 minutes in and all of a sudden we just, and this, the owner of the property, uh, has a chainsaw and he's in the tree just outside where we're recording. And he decides it's a good time to start hacking some limbs off of his tree. He decides to trim his tree while we're, we're recording. And he's literally hanging upside down by his knees with his chainsaw with the long hair hanging. He's a crazy rock guy. Yeah. Stoned out of his mind. And, uh, so that was our background noise for our recording. We we finally convinced him it wasn't a good idea to do that while we recorded. Oh we ended up recording, I think, probably most of the series over the course of the next couple of months. Uh, and they found that most of it was unusable once they went to post. So we ended up re-recording in a garage that had been, fortunately, converted into a studio that was good enough to accommodate that. That's but, um, yeah, it was it was a fun way to cut my teeth because the pressure was so low. Yeah. The, the learning curve was very high for everybody there, and, and the pressure was very low. And so it was, it was kind of a lucky way to, to, get, to get into the industry. And working on 26 episodes, I actually learned how to act while I was doing that. They gave me the part of a, the main bad guy in the show, so I actually acted a human role. And this is on the Giver, right? This is on the Giver. Yeah. Yeah, so I was Agito uh, Giver 3 on that. And uh, I learned how to act basically just by stealing from what I saw from the other guys. I had a pretty good ear for it. Well, this is the, th- and this is the thing that I love about talking to you about this, and it was one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast. Um, for those who have listened to the podcast so far from the beginning, they've probably heard my story about how I got started in, as an actor. And as I like to say, I'm sort of overtrained. I have <laughs> so much acting training, it's sort of disgusting. Um, and in fact, uh, the danger then is that it can get in your way and you can get too much in your head about stuff. Mm-hmm. But what I love is that your story is so radically different from mine. That mm-hmm. you started with no formal acting training mm-hmm. whatsoever. 
Um, but uh, you still obviously learned a lot.、Mm-hmm. You just didn't learn it in school. No, you learned it in the studio watching other people work. And it took me 15 years before I really considered myself to be an actor. You know, I. I Now, I, why did it, why did it take you that long to consider yourself as an actor? Is it just because you hadn't taken an acting class? I, yes, it was because I didn't feel qualified to call myself an actor because everybody around me had the traditional training,、mm-hmm. and it wasn't until several years after recording Cowboy Bebop that、uh, the director Mary、uh, and I were having a conversation about how big the show had become, and she was talking about the actors in the show, and I said, "Well, I'm not really an actor," and she said, "What do you mean?" And I said, I, "I'm not." Really, an actor. I just, you know, I didn't train to be an actor.、And、she goes, "What do you think you've been doing for the last ten, <laughs> fifteen years?" <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I had this aha moment. I went, "Oh, oh, I'm an actor now!" And I didn't. It didn't even occur to me that that's what I had been doing all that time because I did it for fun. I had a whole other career that I was pursuing, and I I became head of marketing at that film company. I stayed there for fifteen years, and I had a corner office. I was going around the world, and and I had a whole thing going there. I was still playing music. And I just did anime on the side for fun, and it was just because I loved to do it, and I loved the people I was working with. It wasn't even for the money. So, were you the head of marketing when you were recording Cowboy Bebop? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I had made it quite that far yet. I was I was probably in the international department at that time, but I was traveling to the Cannes Film Festival and selling foreign rights for、uh, low budget horror films. But you films. had a, a complete sort of、uh, executive track career that you were working、yeah. on while you were doing the voice acting, basically sort of on the side. Right. Which I also had no intention of doing. I didn't want to be an executive. I really didn't want to do that. Yeah. But it sort of fell into it. I just kind of went with the flow. So when you were in that room, and every room after that, as you were working on the Giver and all these other shows,、mm-hmm. you were watching these other actors. What were you watching them do? What were What were you picking up from them? Well, before I even had the common sense to start watching the other actors, I basically watched what was on the the、uh, picture that I was. Seeing, you know, as we're doing anime, we we worked a picture, and so I, I watched what was on picture, and I imagined all these voices in my head, and so I just did what I thought the creatures should sound like, and、mm-hmm. I performed the characters' lines as I thought they would sound naturally,、mm-hmm. and I came from a kind of a comic book background, and my grandfather owned a bookstore. One of my first jobs was sorting comics, so I spent many summers reading through comics and acting out all these characters in my head without even realizing it. So for me, it was a very organic process to walk in there, and from the very first moment, I walked in the booth. Aside from the fact that I was terrified and crapping my pants, right? It was a very natural, organic process for me just to pick up what I thought the breathing should be and and the placement of the voice, and I didn't know what was going to come out. That was where the terror began for me, and that's where、yeah. I started watching other actors to see, and I, I started asking people, "How do you know what's going to come out? How do you feel that in your throat?" That you know, when you open your mouth, it's going to come out like ah instead of ah. I just I had no idea, and so that took years to try to、uh, come to terms with the fact that I really had to do some sort of training、uh, physically with the throat to understand where those sounds were going to come from and what was going to come out when I opened my mouth. So there you were reading comic books、mm-hmm. in your like teenage years. Yeah, I was twelve, thirteen years old. Twelve, thirteen, and、mm-hmm. in your mind, you're already giving the characters voices.、Mm-hmm. Were you doing it out loud, or just doing it in your head? Sometimes out loud and catching myself, and most of the time just in my head. I I was just an expressive kid. Yeah, 
So he's a really creative, expressive kind of kid. And so when you're dropped in the situation with the Giver and you're having to dub this, mm -hmm. you had a natural instinct about what you wanted it to sound like. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you weren't quite sure yet how to control your instrument. Exactly. Okay, yeah. and so you needed to figure out what you had to do physically yep. in order to know what to expect when it was coming out, what was kind of going to come out of your throat. Exactly. Basically. Yep. Now that's fascinating that you were thinking of it from a sort of feeling place rather than a listening right. place. Like you had to know what it felt like. Mm -hmm. So what did you figure out when you were feeling that, feeling that out, I guess? Well, that's what watching other actors, uh, that's where watching other actors came in handy because I would see that the other actors weren't afraid to express themselves physically while they were doing that. I thought that I had to stand there perfectly motionless in front of the microphone. And by doing that, I tensed myself up so much that I really had no idea how to control the breath. I didn't know how to control the range. Uh, and so I, I don't remember who the first actor was that I saw. It might have been this guy, Tom Fawn, who's oh, a yeah. very, very expressive guy. I love Tommy. And uh, Tom just kind of let it loose in the booth. His, his facial expressions were ridiculous. His arms were flying all over the place. And he got the most incredible performance um, with amazing nuance. The, the subtlety that he was able to bring to his characters um, was just fascinating to me. So I thought, all right, well, I'm going to throw my arms around a little bit and I'm going to start moving like he does and not be afraid of that. And the more I relaxed and the more I had fun doing it, the better the performance came out. And uh, more and more I started gravitating towards the actors that would loosen themselves up as much as they possibly could in the booth. And yeah. it seemed to be a very organic process. And that's what worked for me. That's when I got my best performances. And so I just started mentally noting when these performances were good and when they weren't. And, and there were a lot of bad ones, a lot of really, really bad ones from me in the very beginning. Um, and for many years, in my opinion, a lot of my acting was really crappy. Um, but I was learning, you know, so I, I, I look back on those years as, you know, part of my schooling. And I, I didn't go to school in the traditional way, but 15 years of doing it in the booth was incredible training. Yeah. Working with some of the greatest actors I've ever known. So when, so. You, when you say that you could hear whether the performance was good or not, could you hear it in the moment when you were recording it or was it later <laughs> when you heard it back? Not necessarily. Yeah, it was usually on playback. And a lot of times the directors would play it back for me. Uh -huh. And they would say, well, and that, those years the directors really... Uh, didn't necessarily know what they wanted, and they weren't sure how close they had to stay to the original Japanese. It was it was all kind of the Wild West. Uh -huh. And so they would play stuff back, and they say, well, I, I don't know, just do it again. And Which we still hear. I mean, yeah. at every level, you still hear that from some directors. They don't quite know what's wrong, but they know that something's wrong. Yeah, well, that was good. Do something different. Yeah, and so <laughs> and so I did, and, and at first I was frustrated because I didn't know what to do different. I didn't know how to do it dif differently. Yeah. But I would just do it and I would just dive in and I would just do it. And since I really had no context, I had no frame of reference, I had nothing to beat myself up about, I just kind of dove in head first. Yeah. And sometimes it would work, sometimes I didn't. I tried to remember the things that did work. Most voice actors, including myself, are very auditory by nature. They are always listening and trying to improve their artistry from a sonic perspective. What is interesting to me is how physical Steve's approach to acting is. When first trying to develop his vocal skills, Steve didn't think about it in terms of sound, but in terms of physical sensations. His language reveals that when bringing a character to life, he first thinks in terms of how it feels to do a voice, rather than what it sounds like to do a voice. He then gives himself permission to be physical in the booth, so he can feel relaxed and bring more nuance to his performances. 
By reaching for a feeling rather than a sound when he's voice acting, Steve is able to achieve a level of believability in his performances that I've always found very compelling. In the next episode, we discuss how Steve's musical background contributed to his acting skills, both technically and emotionally. We also break down what happens inside your mind when you're trying to voice act, and what it takes to actually become a character. See you next time. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.